Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm Audrea Greenhoff, and in this interview series, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's newest and most innovative food brands out there to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Audrea Greenhoff, and in today's interview, I'm talking to Ori Zohar, the co-founder of Burlap & Barrel. Burlap & Barrel is an artisanal, single-origin spice brand that works directly with farms and cooperatives around the world to bring beautiful, unique spices to professional chefs and home cooks. In this conversation, we're talking about how Ori and his business partner, Ethan, came up with this idea the unique social mission behind the company, and how telling their story has been instrumental in growing this brand. We also naturally talk a lot about food, so if you're a fan of spicing things up in the kitchen, I think you're going to really like this one. You can check out all the interviews in this series by following me on Medium at Audrea Greenhoff. That's A-D-R-I-A, green, like the color, H-A-U-F-F. You can also check them out at audriagreenhoff.com. Thank you for joining me. You're my first interview in this uh, series, so thanks for for that. And why don't we just jump right in and you can tell me a little bit about who you are and what Burlap and Barrel is all about. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Ori Zohar, and I'm the co-founder of Burlap and Barrel. Uh, What we do is we source beautiful, unique spices directly from small farms around the world. Uh, Our insight was that the spices in your pantry were brought to you through an antiquated and old model where they kind of change hands more than a dozen times. So by the time they get to you, the flavor is long gone. And actually the farmers along the way got screwed. They were paid pennies on the dollar for for the product that they were working on. So what we're trying to do here is build a new global supply chain for spices. It's faster, it's fresher, it's more equitable. And we've been at it about 18 months. We have uh, many customers from Michelin-starred chefs to food manufacturers to cosmetics producers all the way to home cooks like yourselves. That's so cool. Where did the idea first come from? I started this company with Ethan Frisch. He's been a longtime friend. We used to, he would cook and I would eat. And so that was a good balanced friendship that we had. Um, In 2010, we had started an ice cream business together because Ethan had had been at a few, worked at a few restaurants in New York City and was loved making ice cream. And we said, how do we turn this into a business? His background is also as an international aid worker. So it had to be incorporate some of the social justice part of it. And that was called Gorilla Ice Cream, which was flavors inspired political movements and revolutions around the world. That was in 2010. After that, Ethan went on his way and got a master's degree in international violence and conflict management. He moved to Afghanistan to work with the Aga Khan Foundation uh, to work on nonprofit projects and infrastructure in the country. Went over to um, Lebanon to work with Doctors Without Borders at a maternity clinic and then came back to New York and was trying to think about what to do next. In the meantime, I had moved to San Francisco, started a company in, the, in a very logical next space after ice cream, which is we started a mortgage company. <laughs> um, after doing that for four years, um, we ended up selling the company. Ethan was back in New York. We said, what do we do next? And he said, I, I was cooking and, and bringing in these amazing spices that I found from farmers in Afghanistan, in Lebanon, and all over the world. And I've never had spices like these. How, how do we turn this into a business? And so that's when we started talking about it. And we came up with the idea for Burlap and Barrel, 
And we named it after spice, the old spice trade, which was brought over in burlap sacks and in wooden barrels. That's amazing. So I'm going to go back to your background um, in your other businesses as well, because I'm interested in learning more about that and your kind of background as an entrepreneur. But before we go into that, so once you guys had this idea for this company, for this brand, what was the very first thing that you did? You know, you, you kind of talked about it. You had the idea. What was the first thing that you did that kind of set the wheels in motion for you? Sure. So I think at the beginning we had a hypothesis that said that, like, we are very excited about these spices because we think they taste great um, and that they are really additive to food and to cooking, and, and we, were, we were really enjoying using them. But that was an unvalidated hypothesis. Maybe we were just very had a unique point of view and we were just nerding out on these spices in ways that everyone else would look at us sideways. So we said, how do we test to make sure that there's that other people will be as excited about this as we are. So Ethan, as he was traveling around the world, actually went to these farms and, and brought over the spices sometimes in his check bags, sometimes in other ways we would ship them over and we just started working our network. So uh, Ethan had been a chef in New York. So he reached out to his chef network and said, Hey guys, I brought these amazing things. Are you interested in them? And the chefs were going crazy over it. So we we're like, that's a great to have a hit among people that cook for a living. Uh, he also started sending them out to his friends and cooking and hosting people and, and sharing them in the meals that he was making. And the guests were also really excited about it. So I think before we thought too much about what is pricing going to be like, what is marketing, what's the brand name, we just started by, by just validating that, that people would be as excited about this product as we were. And when we got that validation, we said, okay, cool. Now let's let's make something out of this. I'm looking at your website, you have a variety of different uh, spices available. How are you choosing what is being sold? Are you getting um, you know requests from your existing clients? Is it kind of going into your own um, background and food knowledge? How are you deciding what um, sells on your site? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, we work with farms in about ten countries right now, and so they sell broad variety of spices. For us, our, our main goal is to find spices that people are using today and, and know how to use them and already integrating them, but provide a much, much higher quality version of that spice. And so what we're constantly doing is initially we introduced about 20 spices onto the site, and we wanted to be able to represent enough spices that you could then justify ordering a handful of them because you're curious about three or four, and then that, that ends up being enough for us to be able to give you free shipping or something like that. But what we do is we introduce spices, we see how they sell, we first do a small, a smaller order, we see how they sell, if they move very quickly, if we find that people are excited about them, we keep them on the site and we place bigger orders, and if not, we slowly kind of retire them and make room for new spices in there. And so people kind of vote with their dollars, and people vote with their orders, and we use that as, a, as the best kind of guide for what should be there, what should be prioritized, and what, what can kind of be moved off and retired. What are some of the um, more popular ones now? Are you seeing that there are some that sell better than others? Yeah, absolutely. So we have this wild mountain cumin on our site that's basically gathered by foragers in, in Afghanistan where these guys have never exported a spice before. It was all made for local consumption. And through Ethan's work in Afghanistan, we were able to meet these foragers and we were able to get them together and say, hey, we will buy this from you if you guys can help us. And we help them set it up in order to, to get it ready for export and bring it into the country. And so it's a different varietal of cumin. It's very fragrant. It's very flavorful. And people seem to be reacting really, really well to it. 
We have a few other spices that are kind of what we would call ready-to-use spices Mm -hmm. and that you can just sprinkle them on top of your food, either while you're cooking or as a finishing spice. But those are things like the smoked paprika that we bring in that's very smoky and very flavorful. Um, It's things like the the cured sumac, which is almost like a lemony, like sour, tart, bright flavor that you can put on top of your salads or hummus or baba ganoush or kebabs. Um, And even other things like our urfa chili, which is this chili that comes from Turkey that's not very spicy. It's a little, it's a little smoky, a little sweet, a little spicy, and it's this really nice balanced kind of flavor bomb that people can add to their food, and, and, and that's been working really, really well for us. So let's talk a little bit about Burlap and Barrel's brand story. You know, in addition to being high quality, I know that there is, um, you know, a focus on being socially responsible, what is the most important thing that you and your business partner have wanted to communicate to customers and potential customers? And how has this influenced your overall marketing? Yeah, I think one of the key insights that our business was found on is that we really need to marry the sourcing with the product quality with the message that we sell to the consumers. So it's not about like, here's our product. Oh, and by the way, we work with our farmers and and are able to pay them more. This is really about saying, because we work directly with our farmers, because we cut out layers and layers of middlemen, those are the main reasons why we can bring you a fresher, higher quality, more flavorful product at a similar price to what you're paying for, for these four artisanal spices. And so it was really important for us to marry these two and not have the kind of social responsibility, social impact side of the business be an afterthought, but it's really core to what we do. And it's really what enables us to deliver the kind of product that we can. And we do that also by taking a greater risk because most other companies will end up just saying, Oh, what is available? Who can I, where can I pay a co-packer? Where can I pay somebody else to just give me something? And they buy the commodity version of it. They buy the thing that anybody can get in any supermarket anyway. We said, how do we go all the way to the farmers? How do we set them up to export? How do we help them get organically certified? How do we help them grind on site? How do we help make sure that that they're they're getting a much higher percentage of the final sale price than other farmers that sell to the person with a pickup truck, that sell to the person with a small warehouse, that sell to the person with a truck, that sell to the person. So there's just, it changes hands so many times. And every single time spices change hands, the quality goes down because they get mixed and mixed and mixed. And the price goes up because you have to pay that person in order to do to do the, the service that they did. So it's no value is being created, but a lot of cost is being added. Right. And so those two things were married in our business, not kind of an afterthought of saying, oh, and we also donate 1%. It's really tied together in, in, in what we do. It's in our DNA. You know, you, you still are a young company. You said you've been kind of in the marketplace for 18 months, but you guys have had some significant amount of success, I think, so far from what you and I have talked about. What do you think was the moment when you felt like you were onto something, like this was going to be a business that, that definitely worked? So we started this business mostly as a B2B business, and that was a little bit of a surprise. It was counterintuitive for us, but what we learned is that selling to professionals, if you have a product that can back it up. And for us, it was with a high quality spices that have very high percentages of essential oils. We were able to convince the B2B. And for whatever reason, the B2B was an easier sale for us because folks would say, oh, cloves, great. And they would compare them side by side and say, yeah, we're sold. And that was all we needed to say. 
where we really saw a breakthrough was when we started also using the B2B to get to B2C. So for us to get okay. in front of consumers by selling to businesses was a really meaningful turning point. And one of those is when we reach out to the New York Times. And we, there's a column there about kind of new food businesses. And we said to them, we're a spice business. And they said, so what? <laughs> and we said, well, we've already convinced a bunch of these amazing chefs and amazing restaurants to use them. And they said, oh, we're listening. Because we were able to win over these experts that right. did this for, their, for a living. They were in the food business. And they said, well, if you we can convince them, then, then you must have something here. And so the, when the New York Times article came out, we got a ton of traffic to our site. Uh, a few months later, we were going to meet with some of our partner farmers in Zanzibar, which is in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. And so we were speaking with the editor from Popular Mechanics, and the editor said, great, we're coming with you. And so That's they so sent cool. over a photographer who spent a few days with us, met the farmers, saw how everything is grown, how it's dried, how it's packed, and even came with us to our kind of co-packing warehouse where we put the jars into the spice into jars. And so then they wrote an eight-page article about us and about that trip. And so again, this kind of we started getting some momentum and we started getting being able to tell our story, which is something that we had never had a chance to before. It's really hard to fight for consumers' attention because there's so much stuff that people are reading about, so many things going on in the world. But things really reached a turning point where we started getting kind of the stage to be able to, to from from these publications, from these writers, to say, listen to what these guys are doing. They're doing something interesting and unique. And that really started our direct-to-consumer business in a bigger way. Do you think that there's a fair amount um, of educating the consumers or are you seeing that a lot of the uh, B2C clients that you're getting are already kind of foodies who are exploring with spices? Do you get any really newbie cooks in reaching out to you for, for merchandise? Yeah, so so far a lot of our direct-to-consumer, the people that come straight to our site, have been these folks that know what they're doing. They mm -hmm. come in and they said, oh, yeah, I've been looking for a better source of cardamom. Or, oh, yeah, that's great. I, I love your saffron from Afghanistan. Or, you know, so these are some folks that are already cooking, are already using these wonderful ingredients and are just saying, how can I – I already go to farmer's markets. I already have my local butcher. I already, you know, know exactly where my – meats and vegetables were farmed and how they were sourced and I know that they're high quality but for what for some reason my spice cabinet is still full of these old plastic bottles that are aging by the day and so we have a fair amount of customers that come in looking for something specific and we try to provide them with it who we're now going after is the more casual cooks maybe the folks that work with blue apron maybe mm -hmm. the folks that are already cooking more often at home maybe the folks that are providing for their family or their friends or hosting people over for, for for dinners and drinks and all that and for those folks we're trying to tell more of the story so not only just tell them how where is this spice source from how did the farmer grow it how is it dried but also give them some tips on saying this goes well in these few scenarios would you say you're much of a home cook yourself I cook a fair amount of Middle Eastern food. So when I'm making hummus, I use our black peppercorns. I top it with our cured sumac. When I'm baking an eggplant, I throw some of our black urfa chili on it. When I'm making even a, a, a chili, I will throw some cloves in there. Maybe I'll even use some of our silk chili flakes, which are very similar to an Aleppo pepper. And so for me, it's more about taking the foods that I'm already cooking today or that I'm even going and learning a new dish and then kind of modifying them with these spices and seeing what the difference is and seeing how much how, how it changes the flavor and, in my opinion, how much better it makes them. But for me, it's more about kind of starting with what I know and kind of reaching out. Well, for Ethan, the more savvy cooks, are, they already know what they're doing. They already know about pH balances and acidity and how they want to manage, you know, right. fats and, and all. 
and acids. And I'm like, oh my God, that, that stuff is overwhelming to me. So we have a fair amount of spices that are like, Ethan is going to go and get our wild kelp that we bring from, from Iceland while, and go to look at our uh, wild juniper berries from the Taurus Mountains. Well, I'm going to go to the things that are a little more like I just sprinkle them on and I'm happy. Right. You know? That's definitely the kind of cook I am too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I live in, in Miami and South Florida, so we're very um, Caribbean-based here. But I do like to cook, and I think it's fun. The more that I've traveled, I like I tend to go to you know the, the Middle Eastern restaurants and things that we don't really get here. Um, so more and more, I've kind of been exploring those kind of recipes because it's stuff that you don't find here. So I think it's fun in the kitchen to kind of try new things. Yeah, and after you go past that initial discovery, like many people don't know what sumac is. Mm -hmm. But sumac is a really friendly, kind of bright, sour, flavorful kind of spice that you can, that you can throw on, on many dishes. Now, now I throw it on salads and hummus and baba ganoush and lamb and whatever else I get my hands on that I feel I could use like almost, like, almost as a lemon replacement. I now use that. I've even got, come around to our to the, our wild kelp because it's very. It smells like the ocean. It has mm -hmm. this like bright mineral minerality to it, and so. But we can also use it as a thickener. And so, once I started yeah. thinking about it as kind of a salt replacement that also adds some umami, that also can thicken some of the sauces and some of the curries and some of the other things that I'm making. I'm like, okay, I get it, and I start sprinkling it into everything. So let's go a little bit into your background. You told me that this is the second business that you've worked um, on with your partner, your business partner, Ethan. Did you always um, know you were going to be an entrepreneur or how did that story kind of go? I was always interested in entrepreneurship. Even when I was an undergrad, I wanted, I was looking for which undergrad club to join. And so I started my own entrepreneurship club because I guess that's what right. entrepreneurs do <laughs> and, and ran that while I was in college. And so when I graduated from college, I went into marketing. I worked in the big ad agencies because I wanted to develop a specific expertise. And so I wanted to know how to get to know our customer, how to think about communications, how to, how to get the right message to them and how people kind of make their buying decisions. And so I did that for six years and and when I started working with Ethan on the ice cream business, I said, this is so much fun. I it's, it's time for me to jump over into the entrepreneurship route. And so when I went over to the mortgage business, that was my first time where we raised money, where we really hired people. And I learned a lot of the lessons of how to, how to run a business. Um, and so we ran that for four years. And after the four years of, of, of that, I came back to see kind of what was next. And Ethan was there and ready. And I said, you know, after doing mortgages, I wanted to get back to food. And that, that seemed like such an interesting and fun, fun idea for me. But I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned on that is that with entrepreneurship, it's sometimes about getting going. It's sometimes about just run your first business so you can either learn from it or, or continue to grow it. But it's, it's more so about doing than it is about this like crazy, complex business plan and customer segmentation and mapping of this to that. Right. It's really about just getting going. And, and seeing how people react to it. And when you get that feedback, incorporate it and move and move and move. And then after you make enough moves, all of a sudden, what looked like a silly little business that was just kind of a side hobby starts looking a lot more like a real business and looks a starts looking a lot more like the bigger players that have already been doing this for years and years. And then you turn around and you're like, oh, my God, how did I build this? <laughs> but it's really just about every day getting going and making it a little bit better. And after a while, it, you, you look back and you're like, oh, my God, this actually – this is now. This is now not just about what my parents 
are saying that I'm doing a great job buying. Now we have strangers coming out of all kinds of places and saying five stars, great review. And that's really, really gratifying when that happens. That's really cool. Well, this has been great. I have learned a lot and I'm really glad we had this opportunity to talk. Uh, Before we wrap up, I want to switch things up a little bit here for my closing questions and do kind of some fun rapid fire. So are you up for that? I'm ready. Okay, cool. (laughs) So what is your favorite day of the week and why? Uh, It has to be Friday. The day that I know (laughs) that I'm going to the weekend, (laughs) everyone's a little happier. Everyone seems a little, a little more ready. And so, so I am, I am, uh, I have to say that Friday is my favorite day of the week. Okay. Number two, what's the last TV show or movie that you watched? Uh, you're going to laugh at me, but, uh, (laughs) I was watching Blade Runner recently. Okay. It okay. takes me like 15 years to watch movies. I don't know why. I recently saw Pulp Fiction for the first time. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to get around to it. But I'm right now halfway through Blade Runner, and I'm very excited to see what happens in the other half. But so far, it's fantastic. Cool. And no judgment there. I'm the same one with movies. I think I saw um, Pulp Fiction maybe a year ago for the first time, and... I was, I loved it. I was raving about it like as if I had discovered the movie. My husband was like, Yeah, this and everyone real. around you is yeah. like, what, 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 This isn't news. <laughs> like, so why are you telling me totally. this? Totally. I'm totally the same way. Okay, number three. If you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? So I've been living in the Bay Area for the past five years, and I've developed an unhealthy addiction to pho, you know, mm. the Vietnamese noodle soup. And so that has to be very high up on my list. Okay. I can always go for a, yeah, I've done, I've even gone from pho to ramen in the same day. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot of noodle soups, but I'm into it. Um, I think the other one that jumps out at me is, is I've always been a huge fan of sushi. My dad is a marine biologist. We grew up eating fish in our entire childhood. And so when you get to get the highest quality fish just prepared simply and put on this beautiful little piece of rice is, is not, nothing beats that for me. Cool. So was that three or do you have any other ones? two, but I kind of set a category. <laughs> uh, what else do I love? Um, the other things, and, and again, we'll, we'll please try to reserve judgment here, but um, uh, I love peanut chews. Okay. I, that's, a, that's a song that I could have left in my childhood, <laughs> but they're so good and, and uh, my dentist isn't happy about it. <laughs> and number four, what's one thing most people would never guess about you? So being an entrepreneur, you're kind of constantly meeting people, constantly selling to them, constantly telling them about your business, constantly networking, building connections and all that, because that's the lifeblood of your business. And mm-hmm. as, as anyone that's kind of been part of a small business knows that every person that's involved, their role is also sales. Because it's also part of, of kind of building the business. I am an introvert. And so <laughs> I get a lot of energy from being by myself and I need to recharge at the end of those days. And so I think a lot of folks that meet me, meet me in sales mode, in my outgoing mode, in my networking mode. And I love that. And I, and, and I love being able to build a business, but there's also the opposite side of that where I go home at the end of the day and I just sit there by myself or sit there with my girlfriend and just, you know, and just kind of recharge. And that feels, that feels really, really good to me, that side of, of the world. I'm not the guy that could just be there all day and all night chatting and, you know, networking until the sun comes up. Okay, so finally, where can people go to learn more about you and Burlap and Barrel? Sure. So one great place to go is on our site, burlapandbarrel.com. 
Uh, you can see what we're doing, what we have on sale. You can read about our, our spices and all that. Also, we keep a pretty mean Instagram account. And so, again, it's at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram. And you can hear more about our farmer stories. We have an upcoming trip to Turkey to go there for the sumac harvest. And so we'll be posting a lot of photos from there. Um, And also, we post a lot of recipes and and, and who the chefs are that we're working with and what they're preparing and more information about the spices. And so our Instagram is a great place to kind of see what we're up to and get kind of daily updates on, on where we're at. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to check out more interviews in the Better Food Stories series, you can follow me at Audrea Greenhoff on Medium or visit audreagreenhoff.com. I'm also Audrea Greenhoff on Twitter and Instagram.